0: Hello all and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today I have me a very special guest, Scott Drakeford. Scott, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, man. How are you?
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent. I was really glad I could get you on the first minute. uh, First time I saw your cover pass on Twitter, I was like, yep, follow that person. Check the blurb. (laughs) I was like, Added it to Goodreads right away, went on to Tor. Uh, yeah, I got the whole kit and caboodle. And I was like, I think I messaged you like right after I had seen your profile. So that's all, why I'm always on Twitter is because I have so many friends that share, you know, great authors and books. So I'm very thankful for them and I'm very thankful you could come on today. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Book Twitter hey. is fantastic. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, Tor's work on the, on the cover and the blurb worked for you.
0: Yeah. It's just like classic. Uh, My friend had, had actually just got your book and, um, I think he actually, it's in the mail, but, um, yeah, he was like, Oh, he said the same thing. And I like how he put it. And he said, Oh, it's like, kind of like classical fantasy, you know, cover. Um, but yeah, as soon as we, as soon as I read the blurb, I sent it to him. He's like, yeah, I already ordered that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's worked for more people than just myself. So I hope more and more people feel the same way. Um, for that first question, so what has your writing journey been like up until this point?
1: Oh, geez. Um I I have been known to to take a very long time answering this question. Oh, that's fine. Uh, we got all day. So. I, I have nothing to
0: do later but more work. I'd rather do <laughs> yeah, okay. this. So.
1: <laughs> all right. So I'll I'll start kind of from the beginning and and you know I might uh, ruin some follow up questions along the way. That's but fine. so basically. Uh, you know, I, I grew up reading, uh, fantasy in particular, um, because my, my dad is really into reading. He, he reads a ton and he he's always liked fantasy as well. I guess I don't really know why I should probably ask him how he got into it. Um, but you know, I, I grew up reading a ton, uh, for probably the same reasons a lot of us do. Um, and then I was in college. Uh, studying to get a mechanical engineering degree, I, <laughs> I really hated it, uh, found out about halfway through my degree, you know, that I really didn't want to do it, but I, I pushed forward anyway, cause it was the quickest path to graduation and a, you know, a decent income, uh, right around when I graduated, I, you know, I was pretty sick of my engineering job already that I had done through school. And I decided I wanted to do something a little more creative um engineering uh, i think my biggest gripe was that it wasn't nearly as creative as i wanted it to be you know yeah. i went in with this uh this idea of like oh i'm going to get to create all this awesome stuff and and build some cool machines and whatever and that that just wasn't the case yeah. um so yeah i i i started writing um in 2012 uh, right after I, I graduated. And that was the beginning of this book of Rise of the Mages. Um, I wrote just in, you know, in, in spare time after work and at, at night at that time, I didn't have a kid, but I was married. Um, so, you know, I, I carved out, I tried to carve out an hour or two every night of, of writing and by 2013, uh, around 2013, 2014, I had a completed draft, um, but in October of 2013, I decided that I wanted to try the traditional publishing route. Um, I went to a world fu- world fantasy convention in Brighton, England, uh, be, partially because my wife and we were fairly newly married, two, three years married at that point. Um, she has family in England that, uh, she wanted me to meet. And because I figured, you know, if there are any agents that I, uh, wanted to, to try to meet that I would have an advantage because I would be probably uh, one of relatively few Americans there in England. Um, and it worked, uh, at least, uh, as much as it was ever going to work, um, uh, I, I met two of my, my target agents, um, Joshua Bilmez and my eight, my agent that I ended up querying and signing with, um, Matt Bialer. Um, I, I liked both of them and a few others besides a lot based just based on what I could look up online. But um, you know, Matt in particular was very kind, uh, took a minute to talk to me after a, a Patrick Rothfuss reading. Um, And gave me his card, and so I I ended up querying him first in 2015. So it took me like another year and a half or something to edit and rewrite because there were. I mean, you and I talked about it a little bit before we went live, Uh, but like the process, especially for me at least early on in the writing journey, uh, it it was a huge. It was just a self learning exercise, you know, like. As I drafted that first book, I would change so much as I went, both because the story was changing in my mind and, and trying to form itself, and because I was learning things all the time. You know, I was, I was listening to writing excuses that that was big at the time. I was reading every book on, on writing and editing that I could find. Um, and I, you know, I was I was changing myself as a writer. So I would keep a running list of all the things that I needed to go back and rewrite and edit, and it ended up being like 20 to 30 pages of, <laughs> yeah, uh, of notes of things I needed to change. So, anyway, it was a, it was a massive effort. Um, you know, a lot of people probably wisely write a book or a few books and move on and and chalk them up to. Learning experiences, I was too stubborn to do that. So, uh, I just, and the story meant something to me. So, I, I wanted to see it become, you know, as good as, as I had envisioned it. So, I, I just kept going, kept editing, kept rewriting, you know, giving it to my, my wife, my brothers, my dad, uh, any friends that would read it, and it kept editing based on feedback. And then I finally queried Matt Bialer in 2015. I got lucky uh, and signed with him that year. Uh, I did some further edits and revisions with him and his assistants, which was fantastic. And one of the reasons that I I wanted Matt as an agent, um, because I, I knew that he was uh, very editorial um, and at least had those capabilities. I don't know if he does that with every client, but uh he was willing to do so with me and it was fantastic in 2016 i want to say we submitted to publishers um matt had a list of i think 9 of the you know the the big houses that he he had contact at we sent out to those 9 uh we got 4 nos 3 of the 4 nos came which was awful like <laughs> I was, I was convinced I, I was never gonna get a deal and that my writing career was over, you know, in 2016. Um, and at that time, four years felt like a long time to have been doing it with, you know, not having seen anything. Uh, I, I, I guess, you know, I signed with an agent that was big, but um, I was getting impatient, right? But three of the no's came back with really nice notes of, hey, I think this has a lot of merit and this is good. And here are the good things about it, but here's why I'm passing it. And we took those reasons from those three. We pulled the submission from the five that hadn't responded yet, and said and told them we were going to do some edits based on uh, some early feedback. And so I did that. I think I took six months or so to do that. Um, those were that was a pretty su- uh, substantial edit as well. Yeah. Um, because I, I went through and I thought I had done a pretty good job of this, but I went through and took the manuscript from like 175,000 words down to around 130,000. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, without cutting any scenes, um, that was just purely rewording, rewriting scenes to be as efficient as possible. And honestly, I went too far with it. Um, Later on, after I signed with tour, uh, I ended up putting in a lot more and it, it ended up at around 155, I think. So kind of smack dab in the middle, but that, that was a, a huge learning experience for me. Cause I, I thought I had done that thing. I, I don't remember the percentage that, you know, Sanderson and all those folks that actually know what they're doing, say you should cut it, whether it's 10 or 20 or something, um, but I, ju- I just went as hard as I could at rewriting every scene, every sentence, everything to be as efficient as possible. Um, and that did the trick. We, we signed with Tor in 2017. Um, and we were supposed to have... I signed for a trilogy. We were supposed to have all three books come out right next to each other Uh, at the end, I think, I think it was the end of 2019 we were slated for, which in hindsight would have been really nice to come in before the, (laughs) you know, before the pandemic. Um, but I had, I had only written the first book, you know, and, and I had become very obsessive with the first book and that's kind of just part of my nature, but, you know, uh, I just, I just have a hard time letting go of, of my work and I want it to be as perfect as possible. And it's very hard, even as I'm drafting other books, to not go back to a book after I've been like, oh, maybe I should do this a little different. you know? Um, so long story short, I, I had a lot of stuff going on at work. I had a kid and, and, and stuff all in that same time period. Um, so I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get all three written by 2019. And then the pandemic hit. And Tor had to shuffle their schedules. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so, so I went from that kind of accelerated trade paperback kind of uh, setup to a more traditional hardcover one a year schedule. And even then we moved the book to 2020 and then the pandemic hit and I moved to 2021 uh, to give them a little more room with some of their titles they had already planned and, and yeah. all that. Um, but then it, it, moved again to early 2022, which was fine, uh, at that point. Cause it was like late 2021 20, to, to early 2022. Um, but yeah, so the writing journey has been a very long one for me. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, I shouldn't say that. Cause I think a lot of people, honestly, a lot of writers take about that long to oh, get sure. to. You know to 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 get their stuff to market and to 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 build themselves however it happens um but yeah i uh, nearly a decade of of working on uh one book or one series has has been uh a lot but it's also been fantastic because i so i've got book two done um and i'm i'm revising right now and we'll i'm hopefully have it back to my editor again in a not too long um, but those, you know, nine or 10 years I had to grow as a writer and to be working with a whole bunch of different professionals in the industry, um, and to write a second book even before, you know, book one, yeah. uh, had to be finalized. It gave me a lot of time to go back and do even more edits and more edits. Um, I think I frustrated my editor, Jen, <laughs> quite a bit with how much I, I kept wanting to change just cause I again, i'm I'm just a little bit uh, obsessive about it. but I you know it, it worked out and I'm really, really happy with how the book turned out in the end and it gave me a lot of opportunities to make sure it was exactly how I wanted it.
0: I feel like you brought up like a lot of great things, but one in particular is like that because I think every time I go to make one of those really big changes maybe not everyone but like certain changes I like literally to take like a week break and then do something else to decide like is that really what needs to happen um but I think a lot of people feel the same way that you do you know it's like is it is it too much changing you know but everybody says the same thing that you know they change they change, they change. and change I've talked to a lot of people recently who've just released books um, you know, and they say the same thing. They're like, oh, I don't know if I should have done that. And then a lot of them end up doing really well. So like, oh, I'm actually really glad I didn't edit it for a you know 100 billionth time and just left it at 99. <laughs> um, so yes. yeah, I definitely, I definitely can relate to that. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of writers can, because I don't think you ever. I, well, I think Steve McHugh actually said it recently on his Twitter because um, he has a new one releasing, and. I'd asked, somebody had asked a question and he had made that comment. He's like, I don't think I'm ever ready to to publish, you know, <laughs> and yep. I definitely, definitely understand that. So yeah, I can definitely understand that feeling.
1: Yeah. At, at some point you really just have to kind of let it loose and, and see what happens. Um, it, you know, it's both a, a blessing and a curse, uh, to have that leeway because you do end up coming back to it, you know, whether it's a, a good idea or not. And I, I think in my case, it, everything that happened was good. Uh, But it did, I mean, it totally slowed me down on the rest of the trilogy, you know. Um, And and I'd say that's, that's what takes me the most time in my writing process. It's not that I actually write slowly, once I get into writing. It's that decision process, and the doubt that comes along with, having a list of things that could change and you don't know if they should change. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, trying to decide on what direction to go with a character or a plot or whatever else it might be, that kind of internal decision-making process um, and deliberation is by far what takes me the longest because I, you know, I... I, (laughs) I hate writing and then throwing it away. And I do it all the time anyway. Um, But I I hate throwing stuff away. So I'll, uh, it's, it's probably something I need to work through, but I will, I'll, I'll I'll deliberate and deliberate until I, I feel good about something and then I do it instead of working my way through it, which is probably what I should do more of.
0: Well, when you figure out that skill, you let me know, because (laughs) like, I know the audience knows by now about my stupid character that was a constable and, then, you know, I thought he was gonna be like a rich constable, and now all of a sudden he decided he wanted to be a, a lowly thief taker on his family's last dime who needs to solve this case or else. And, you know, I'm yeah. like, everybody I talked to about it when I like displayed the two were like, oh, that one sounds way cooler. And then, you know, especially with the repercussions in the story, but I think right now I'm like two months out still from that decision because I made it, but then it's like, I still haven't quite figured out how to. Change everything else, so I've been changing a few other things, so I definitely, definitely understand that feeling. And you're always like, Should I, shouldn't I, <laughs> like with the delete button or or cutting things? So, one of my friends said that he's got like, uh, yeah, I really liked his book and everything. He doesn't want to be mentioned by name, but um, but he was like, Yeah, he goes, I have 20 copies, <laughs> like literally 20 cop edited copies, and he's like, Sometimes I'll just go back and I understand that because he had a character that he cut and then he used for something else. And I love that character. And I cut two characters and but I liked them in the relationship. So I thought, oh, I'll just move them to something else. And so I definitely understand that feeling for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I that that's interesting to have 20 different copies. Right? Uh, yeah. And
0: I'm not what, joking. It might be like 23, but yeah, he that's crazy. <laughs> but he doesn't I mean, like lose anything. I'm like. You Can't just take notes, like we have to a copy of it, like every every change. And I'm like, that's like way past Scribner, you know. Like, yeah. I always I always tease him because I always send him the Charlie Day, you know, where he's got all the dots and the maps and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I I I don't think I, I I don't have like that many separate drafts. I I yeah. typically just modify my main draft and throw stuff. And you know the stuff I'm throwing out, I throw in folders without making it a whole draft, living out there somewhere. But I, ha- I mean, I, I have at least thirty plus drafts, revisions, whatever you want to call it, of Rise of the Mages in, in, you know, in my back pocket. But as as you were saying that, like describing your change from a rich constable to a you know a a, a completely different character and, and changing the story. You know, I I had something similar. My book heavily features a a, um, a school, so uh, not super original, but call, I call it the Citadel in Rise it's of the Classic
0: majors. though, like it's it's a classic trope, and that's that's what that was one of the things that drew me to it. I was like, oh, it's like the Jedi Academy almost, like or Harry Potter, whatever. Like it's a classic trope. There's a yeah. reason we keep coming back to this. So to me, that pulled me in instantly. So I just want to throw that out there.
1: <laughs> well, I, I like to hear that. Um, but I mean, it, it was for a few reasons, right? Like, um, one, I, I had just gotten out of uh, my degree at, at college, and I kind of modeled it after after a modern university. Oh, that's cool. Um, it, yeah. And, and I mean, like, you're reading it, you probably won't necessarily see that right offhand. But like, it, it's half engineering, um, tech and engineering and half like, um, military arts, uh, because they're, you know, it's a, it's kind of a pre-industrial, um, second world fantasy. So, um, the, you know, the, the symbolism there being, uh, obviously engineering has a, a heavy corollary to universities today. Um, anything STEM or what have you really. Um, but then we've kind of substituted any sort of formal military training, uh, other than, I guess, our, our Armed Forces Academies, which are awesome, um, but with sports, right? So yeah, college yeah. sports. Um, so I, I kind of tried to build some of those those similarities um, into my school. Um, and it starts there. The story starts there. The two brothers that are most heavily featured in the story start at the Citadel, But the story is very much a, you know, I I call it a fantasy thriller, and I tried to structure it and write it like a thriller, Um, like, you know, a a political thriller. Brad Thor is is one of my favorite um, political thriller writers, even though I don't necessarily agree with his ideology anymore. Um, But, you know, along the way, I, I had a lot of thoughts of, should I make this a pure Academy fantasy for the entire first book? Cause I, I could slow it down. I could make it a very similar story. Like everything else could stay the same, but I, I could just a hundred percent make it Academy fantasy. The whole book happens. There stays in that one setting, explore that a little more. And that was excruciating
0: yeah.
1: um, because I think both worked, you know? Um, and it really just came down to, for me, what my purpose was with this book and with this series and what I wanted it to turn into and how it would best turn into something else, um, you know, turn into a trilogy that felt more epic. Um, and so I, I, I decided to keep my fantasy thriller, uh, quest kind of, you know, action adventure aspect rather than rewrite it to all be at that Citadel. But yeah, I mean, there's so much of that stuff, man, that you just second guess yourself. And there's so much you could do. I think it I think it just for me, at least it comes down to what's my purpose, let's write to it. And then if I have a purpose that's left unfulfilled, I'll do it in a few years, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's so funny that you said that, like just said that, because like, I got this one, I saw this one uh, painting that a friend of mine did on Instagram it was just absolutely amazing it's like um, oh, uh, it's like this older like probably like you know like middle age, like adventure and he's just got like the coolest glowing electrical eyes and like he just looked awesome he's got some cool different glowing tattoos and it gave me such a cool idea for this character but I wanted to show um, it's something like these Mount like Himalayan mountains and He ends up, like, basically, like, killing, like, villagers on accident, like, um, defending, like, their village um, from these creatures. Um, And all of a sudden, like, everybody is, like, scared of him. And then I have, like, this guy coming in, who I consider a lot, like, uh, like Raiden or whatever. And, like, comes in, like, literally zaps in and then, like, takes him off to this, like, same thing, like, Academy. And I think that's where I've been stuck is I'm, like, I don't know if I wanted to be a young adult Academy kind of thing um, or if like, you know, whatever, but it's just funny that you said that. Cause I like, I so have that feeling because I'm the same way. I'm like, I was like, okay, I'm going to pause here. Cause I can't figure out really what the rest of it is, but I'm going to come back to it later. So I do, I definitely understand that feeling because my friend and I were discussing it's like, cause it is right. It, you know, it is still fantasy and the characters are still similar, but you know, if you're at the Academy, I think versus, You know, the academy and then the world, I think I do feel it. There's he my friend he's like, Well, there's gonna be all sorts of different political structures. There's gonna be he's like, it's a completely different story. And that's where I got stuck. So I'm like, it is, I think, personally a completely different story that way. And there's different things that are expected of you, you know, as the writer, the readers expect different things from character development. And yeah, I couldn't pick, so I was like, I'm just gonna put a pin in it. But I applaud you for for being able to pick because I couldn't. So well,
1: I might, I mean yeah I, I, along those lines um you know you're you're very involved in the education world but i wanted um i wanted my book to be at least an option for people to recommend to especially younger adults or younger you know people who aren't into fantasy yet or aren't into reading yet and something to get them into that. And so I felt like that academy school aspect might be appealing. Oh, sure. It might be, you for know, sure. something familiar, but at the same time, I, I wanted to age it up a little bit and not be like a pure YA. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I decided to leave the, the Citadel or, or the Academy. Right. Um, during even just this first book because i you know was was trying to give it a distinctly adult flavor even though i was trying to make it you know accessible yeah, yeah. to a younger crowd if that makes sense
0: no it totally doesn't i i do think part of that too is just like theme wise is a good theme as an educator personally because you know i got kids going like this year after this year to the high school and then like that's right. a big scary place and it's different everything's different, you know, and then I have kids that are, you know, now juniors about to be seniors. I have kids that are seniors about to graduate and then go off to college. So I do think that that is a good move on your part, because I think that you'll get more people involved that way, like younger readers. So I definitely think that, and I actually, I just personally, I always do that too. Like I had a parent ask me about, you know, my, one of my books and I said, well, I said, you know, "I, I do have violence and some things I said, but i'm not a big swearer in my books um like i'm a teacher so it's like i have to i feel like i always have to be careful you know because i see my book and i'm like i'm not doing any racy sex scenes or anything you know Maybe i allude to something but like you know but it's like i like i just don't do stuff like that because i guess this person like i always liked the forgotten realms you know and like there was definitely violence like people died there was fighting you know but there was some romance, but it was like, there was never anything that my mom, you know, had to worry about, you know, me reading. And I was a higher level reader. So, you know, I started reading them in like, like early, early middle school. And, you know, I got to read other things, but it's like, same thing with like Dragonlance too. You know, I mean, I just feel like, I just like that type of reading and I just, yeah. But I definitely like that though, for, for what you're saying is like, I just think personally, like those are Those are just great themes. And then I think, you know, you catch them in book one, and then you can do whatever in book two, you know, and show them your wide, you know, world. And yeah, it sounds really cool though, how you described it. It sounds awesome. So, (laughs) and I think that you make a good point though, too. Is like, you know, my friend had talked about, like, I can't remember where I saw, but he had sent it to me where I don't know if like you described it or if it was tour or what, but he was like, oh, like a thriller, like a fantasy thriller. I had just gotten done talking to him and a couple other people on the podcast about that is like, I do think that the best fantasy stories coming out today and sci-fi ones are ones that blur the lines and aren't just fantasy. Like I actually really like, um, you know, like the concept of like a fantasy mystery or a fantasy thriller, like you said, like. To me, that just sounds so much more exciting than just your typical. I hate to say typical because there's so many great fantasy stories out there. But I personally am more and more starting to like a blend of genres in fantasy. I just feel like it keeps my attention more, and just makes it yeah, cool.
1: yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. And i i I think you can make anything work. You know, um, I think I think there are really good examples of great books um, and great stories that span an entire range of types or subgenres or whatever, you know, there are even some that kind of defy uh, categorization just yeah. because uh, they don't necessarily, or at least the, it, it, the popular opinion is that they don't have much of a plot, um, <laughs> you know, um, but they still work, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, that, that, that was kind of where I was aiming is I, I, my attention is kept by books uh, that have good pacing and that have a purpose and have in particular, have a character or set of characters moving toward a purpose and growing as individuals and as a group. Right. And so I tried to, I tried really, really hard to structure it, to keep that moving, but to put in as much, uh, of, of, you know, the, the interesting fantasy trappings as possible, um, in the periphery and, and anywhere I could. And I, I think it worked, I, don't, I you know, that's up to other people. It worked for me. That's up to readers to decide whether I, I did a good job or not. Um, but you also run a risk, right? Because a lot of fantasy readers, especially today, they do enjoy fantasy for fantasy and like Mm -hmm. there there there's a there's a subgenre i think at least that like gets as weird as possible and loves that weird stuff and that's awesome uh you know there's a there's a subgenre that's very literary there are other subgenres or subcategories that do a whole bunch of other things and and I don't, I don't think everybody's going to like my book because I picked a very specific format and a very specific structure. And I, I just had to be okay with that. You know?
0: I, I mean, I, I, I think that's a great point is like, um, you know, like I had talked to my friend about that and she said, you know, I just talked to Jay Swift about that too, actually. Our, and our second review is coming out uh-huh. this week, but, uh, her, yeah, her and I were discussing that, like, trying to figure out sometimes where your audience is and where you're going is it is scary i think personally um because i think about that all the time you know it's like you're because you are right you're like setting off on a path thinking that people are going to meet you there and it's like it can be very very scary at times because what if you're the one that shows up to the party you know you're like that's what you're always thinking as an author you know you spend so much time and energy like you said and you know, on, you know, book one, even, and you're just like, Oh, no, like, is this okay? Are the changes i made? Okay. But yeah, I think that I just personally think that's how I mean, I've talked to so many people that have said the same thing. And, you know, have had a lot of success. But I think we're all you know, my friend made a good point. She was like, Oh, it's like you're free falling almost or, you know, like you go up into the plane, and then all of a sudden, you're coming back down like that kind of feeling. And you don't really know if you you know, are back on the ground until, you know, sales start going and then reviews and stuff like that. But I do have to tell you though, Scott, like I've seen, oh man, I, I lost count this week. Um, had to have been like at least 30 of my friends on Twitter were sharing your book. Um, yeah. I had to have seen like at least 15, 20 people that I didn't know that were just randomly like sharing, you know, reviews stuff like that, your cover. Um, so it was about 50 people this week. And that's, that's pretty up there for a week for me. I mean, obviously, I'm all around the community and stuff. But still, that's like, that's a lot more than than typical in one week, I might see like three weeks, you know, somebody I knew, like had like, you know, maybe like 30 or something like that. But for one week, like that was pretty good. So <laughs> I felt like you were making the rounds uh, quite well in terms of the circles that that I keep. So that was really cool. And I was telling people, I said, Hey, he's Gonna be on podcast this week, so don't forget to check it out and then check out the socials and stuff like that for him. So, but yeah, that was really cool. So I definitely I think, think. I guess my point is, I I feel like those people are out there. Um, I saw a lot, you know, a lot of really good things. I don't know if you saw where I was trying to share it on Twitter. Uh, I was really slammed this week, so I probably forgot to tag you or they did. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was it was really cool. So yeah, I definitely think that those people are out there. But yeah, as soon as I read the blurb, I was just like, oh, this is super cool. So yeah it's definitely up my alley, so I'm really really anxious to get my copy so
1: I appreciate that man and because you know it it it's super hard to know um yeah. and yeah I mean if I'm not tagged i I might not see it you know yeah. um i I try to hunt stuff down I try to hunt mentions down when I can, but uh, I don't think Twitter search works all that well and i it I really know.
0: doesn't I try to find out. no seriously it does not and I'm telling you, Scott, like, like when your name popped up where a friend of mine shared, it was you and like 20 other authors. And I'm like, how have I not seen these people? I'm like, I'm on tour all the time, you know, and I must have just missed you or something a couple of times, you know, because it's, it's a big company. But I'm like, I got irritated because I was like, I go through Twitter all the time to just search taglines for sci-fi, fantasy, you know, whatever. And then, you know, I had seen what you had posted on this book, Rise of the Mages. And I'm like, how did that not pop up in any of the searches that I did? You know what I mean? And Because I'm constantly trying to follow people. I'm constantly trying to share stuff. I'm constantly trying to friend people on Facebook. I'm, you know, just trying to, you know, just to learn more and meet more people, see what people are doing. And I definitely feel like, you know, Twitter and Facebook, I definitely feel like, and Instagram, I think, ever since they changed the algorithms, you know, like last spring to now, and now TikTok's really done the same thing. I just feel like it's been a lot harder to find people in our community. And I used to just put fantasy and then bam, all the people would pop up. And, you know, some of the friends you may know would pop up. Now they're trying to get me to follow people that like, don't share our interests, you know, or maybe they do a little, but they're not writers and authors, you know, and like, no offense to anybody, when I'm on Twitter, I want I, I consider Twitter my water cooler you know like I want to talk to people like yourself and you know like I mean I'll be friends with anybody or whatever follow but I just particularly go to you know to Twitter in particular to find more people like yourself and I definitely feel like it's been a lot harder so
1: yeah I, I love Twitter and too much especially if you ask my wife <laughs> um, but it's one nice. of my big pro <laughs> yeah uh, one of my big problems is that you know I I have quite a few different interests that have very different crowds that all happen to be on Twitter. So like uh, tech, Twitter, uh, startup, Twitter, finance, Twitter, uh, book, Twitter, you know, all those combined uh, mean that I follow way too many people uh, to keep up with. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I might miss things, but I mean, everything you're like, (laughs) that's why I, and I know, many of my fellow authors so appreciate that you and people like you are taking the time to do podcasts like this to review books to do all this because it you know i i think you know i, I i'm i'm traditionally published and i think people have this idea of of traditionally published books that may not necessarily be Accurate or as not, accurate. Not
0: accurate. Yeah, they're yeah. It's really accurate. It's not. It's really not. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not accurate.
1: Well, well it, it, and I'll, I'll tell you why and, and what I think. So even within traditionally published uh, author uh, catalogs, right? There's a very, very big difference between, obviously this part's obvious, everybody's gonna know this, right? Between the, the big established names that have one way or another found an audience and people coming in fresh like me. But even still, there, there's a, a, a pretty wide range of attention that's given to any given debut um, or mid-list, but any given debut, I'll, I'll stick with debut. And there are so many variables that aren't in my control or even in the publisher's control that end up dictating uh, how the book's released, uh, you know, whether there are events uh, or ads or anything like that around release. You know, my book launched and then Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine, so that was fantastic. Um, you know, stuff like that happens, and then. You can't really control when there's another big launch so um tour I, I launched with tour on february 8th and then just very recently a much bigger debut launched um i think it's the atlas six by uh, i don't know how to say their name oh. i'm horrible with pronouncing names Olivi Blake. I, I think
0: i know yeah I, I think so i know what you mean yeah, yeah. it's
1: one it's of like those like a
0: yeah. Some people you have to hear their name. I always ask you guys before the show because I yeah. messed up a few people. So I definitely it's definitely know that feeling. Yeah.
1: It's so hard, especially because I come from a very vanilla background, you know, and I don't I don't know always how to how to pronounce names. Um, and uh yeah, when I see things in print, it's hard to know how exactly they're well, you're going um, off
0: your experience. That's the thing, is like I'm a, I'm yeah. I announce like basketball games and stuff for a district and like I, am really bad at some of the names and it. it's like, you know, like I've seen, I've taught over all over the country at this point and I've yes. seen names from all over the world, but it's like, you'll see the same name and because of their background, you know, that it's said differently. And it's like, yes. how are you yes. supposed to know like 75 different <laughs> alphabets? Like, so yeah, yeah. I understand that feeling.
1: Yeah. My, my wife makes fun of me. Cause I, so I lived in Brazil for two years. Oh, um, awesome. yeah. And I lived like primarily with Brazilian. So I, I got pretty good at, at Portuguese. Um, but my, my wife makes fun of me because if I see any foreign, anything I pronounce it, like it would be pronounced in Portuguese and she's pretty sure that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but anyway, my, you know, my point is not only is there, uh, going back to, you know, the traditionally published thing, uh, not only is there like a, a big difference in how certain books are picked up and, just w- much weirder variables than you would guess, I think, uh, that affect, you know, budget and that kind of thing. When a, a something launches, you know, you can't control world events and you can't control what comes out after you, you know, now that a, a much bigger, uh, debut than me, uh, has launched from my same publisher and in, in s- uh, sort of, I mean, I, th- I think if I remember right, it's, it, it's a, it's a pretty different story, but you know, tours probably just not going to be mentioning my book all that much until book two, book two comes out. Um, so debut traditionally published, unless they're one of the fairly few that get like a lot, a lot of attention. Um, and, and many of them are, are well-deserved, right? Like there, there are reasons that these things happen. But traditionally published authors who uh, aren't one of those like major major deals that they don't hand out all that often are v- a lot closer, I think, to being a self published title. Oh, for sure. Uh, than people think, if that yeah. makes sense.
0: No, it makes total sense. And I, I just, I'm like blanking now because I just had so many interviews the last couple of weeks on who I was talking to. But um, this actually just came up. Um, I was listening to an old po- uh, podcast with Lindsey Broker uh, Jeffrey Poole and Joel Lalo. And I'm totally blanking on who it was I Forget her last name, but she was a, a really big, like indie sci-fi author, um, about five years ago. And, um, it was Amy and I forget her last name, but she made a good point. Um, you know, that, cause she, I believe she was originally traditionally published and then she went hybrid, but like, she said the same thing is like everybody, she's like, I had to bring with me my platform, my social media and i know for a a fact that uh kevin j anderson uh very famous of star wars novels that he um um, they they have their word fire um you know press and everything and but he talks all the time about like wanting authors who not necessarily have a big platform but who will do the work if and he talked about like there were a couple authors that used to be big traditionally published not like massive but pretty big um you know like middle shelf so to speak and um one person was like famous. She was famous for not wanting to do anything. Um, she was on her Facebook saying like, oh, I don't want to do podcasts. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to cons. I don't want to do anything. And he decided not to sign her because he's like, well, we'll have to do too much work to get her books out there. Uh, yeah. And then he ended up signing somebody else who, you know, I guarantee is going to sell less books than you, but because they, you know, were all over their platform and were willing to do the grunt work or the, you know, the, the groundwork, so to speak, um, you know, like they signed him instead. So I definitely agree with you. And it's just interesting how you mentioned that today because I've listened to three or four other people talk about that you know, on podcasts the last couple of days. Um, you know, just with the last couple of weeks, the kind of stuff that's going on. But I definitely think that people think that if you're traditionally published, you're like Stephen King right off the bat or Brandon <laughs> Sanderson. And it's like, I'm sorry, but like everybody just got eclipsed this week because of Brandon Sanderson's uh, Kickstarter. Um, you know, not saying there's anything, you know, bad about that or whatever. I love Brandon. Um, but it is what it is. Right. And it's like, I think some people were freaking out because they're like, oh, well, that's our world for Indie is the Kickstarter, but really it's just anybody's world. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that you need to have a platform, um, no matter who you are and you need to bring people with you. And I know that sounds weird because most people think traditional publishing is something different, but yeah, today it's like, it's just so much different than it was 10 years ago even five years ago, even pre pandemic. And yep. yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah.
1: yeah, that and or you have to be very willing to play a long game and, and, and play into the system, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, there are so many people, especially people outside of publishing that are like, Oh, man, you got a book deal and your books out, like you made it. And I'm like, I made more money mowing lawns when I was 12 years old, than I'm making from publishing, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it's it's not what you think yep um unless you become one of those relative outliers and yep. and yeah I mean it, it just takes time and I think building a platform is super helpful I you know this is super uh anecdotal I'm not saying this is what people should go out and do but I do think we are seeing more and more uh, people get picked up on these bigger, traditionally published deals who have gone into self-publishing and found an audience first. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So, and I mean, uh, and if she ever listens to this, I'm so sorry if your name is not pronounced uh, Olivia, I don't really know. Um, but, uh, you know, with this very same book at the Atlas Six, she had uh, quite a a big following um i think richard swan who just released the justice of kings uh, which i'm very excited to read it's sitting on my uh one of my tbr piles like you can see these piles here i have a whole nother bookshelf just like this with piles over there um i i think he said he had like a a, i don't remember how many books were in it but he had a sci-fi uh series at least one right uh that he self-published and then came in to to write this fantasy series that uh, sold to orbit and they're obviously very excited about it cause they're, they're putting a lot of weight behind it.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, you know, they sent out a whole bunch of really cool special edition arcs and stuff. Yeah. Like that. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and which is awesome. Cause from everybody I've talked to that's read, it says it's fantastic and I'm super yeah. excited about it, but yeah, it, it's a lot more nuanced than, than people think. Um, and tradition being traditionally published, isn't like the silver bullet uh, that's going to get you where you want to be. But at the same time, like self-publishing super hard too, because there are so many good books out there, you know? Yeah. So finding, finding an audience and, and building rapport with, uh, an audience, it's just hard.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think even, um, you know, like I had talked to my wife and I talked to her constantly about this. I said, well, I just want you to know, I said, granted, it's going to be like, I, I work extra. I do extra things because we don't have kids yet you know, to put money aside, you know, for, you know, like three book covers, you know, um, nicer ones, things like that. I said, well, we're, I said, I'm going to have to cover the cost for these things, but I said, so we might not get it back. Maybe we will one day, you know, but it could be down the road. But yeah, I definitely think that, you know, like I always talk to her about doing stuff like this. I say, you know, like, I'm like, I'm just hoping that, you know, because I'm like, you just never know. I always say like, you're one click away, you know, we're one click away, you know, like you're just one really good review away on one person's, you know, um, podcast or website or whatever, where all of a sudden, like, everybody's like, Oh, so-and-so reviewed this book. I'm going to go read it. And all of a sudden your sales are massive, you know? And um, like, for instance, I just got like this stupid, (laughs) stupid um, star Wars meme and I shared it on TikTok. Next thing I know I got like, it's still going, it's over 12,000 views, you know, like 1500 likes. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to re-replicate it, and I can't, Um, but, you know, it's, like, it's crazy to think about, you know, where, like, if I share one thing about this interview or whatever, it's, like, all of a sudden, people might be, like, oh, 50 subscribers in, you know, a day or something like that, like, more subscribers, so I just think it's interesting, though, that, you know, people, again, just think that, like, I don't think people understand how companies, like, Tor or Orbit work, where it's, like, like you said, like, you know, they only have so much time on their busy schedule to, you know, to back your book and you kind of have this window, right. And then they're going to move on to the next author. And particularly if that author, you know, had a bigger following already, or is a book two, or, you know, is a perennial or something like that, you know, they are going to back that one more, you know, um, business wise. So I definitely think that people don't understand the business aspect. And I definitely want people to understand that, you know, like self-publishing is great. You got to eat all the costs, you know, yeah, you get all the benefits, but at the same time, you know, traditional publishers are not just going to give you, uh, you know, those crazy advances like they used to with $25,000, you know, uh, $50,000, whatever some of the crazy ones I heard from, like just, I was talking to some older authors and stuff. I I guess I should say older veteran authors, um, you know, from 90s and 2000s. And they were like, yeah, man, the advances I used to get, they're like, some more like I blew them. Other ones were like, I put them in the bank. And now a lot of them have become hybrid authors um which I found interesting so yeah I think it's uh I think you have to decide you know really like do the research and decide really what you want to do but yeah it is interesting to see those um authors get poached I would say from the indie community not in a bad way but you know um yep. like headhunted I guess is a better way to put it headhunted from the indie community and then published um you know Andy Ware is one of those um famous stories Anthony Ryan um, uh, you know like there's quite a few of them so yeah I definitely agree with you it's, uh, it's definitely been interesting um, the last seven years when I first met indie authors and Brandon Sanderson, Patrick Rutherfuss, um, Kevin Hearn and then it was like there was traditional on one end of this bookstore and then there were indies on the other like Michael J. Sullivan was there, um, Brian McCullen was there, um, it was just interesting to see where people's careers have ended up on both sides uh, of the spectrum both traditionally and uh, indie published so yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's just so sur- circumstantial too, you know, like yeah, just yeah. with the process being the way it is, you typically with an agent, you go on sub with however many good contacts your agent has. So I've, I've seen a lot that go on, on initial sub anywhere from, you know, five to 20 editors. Um, and, and if it's a smaller group, obviously this reduces your chances of getting mul- multiple people interested at once. But these editors are getting manuscripts from agents all the time, all the time, you know, and they don't pick up a lot of the the agented manuscripts uh, that come their way. They pass all the time. And so to get more than one that's not only interested, but interested, you know, two or more parties interested at the same time, that's how auctions happen. Um, And they either preempt or bid up Uh, the amount of money they're going to pay in an advance, which then usually slides forward into a larger marketing budget, that kind of thing. And it really just has to do, you know, you think about it, all the variables that go into whether two or more of nine people who are slammed with way more work than they should be asked to do are going to not only read, but put together an internal campaign in their office and then put together an offer for this book at the same time, um, it, it's pretty crazy. So um, yeah, it, it's just a weird world, man. And and uh, more opaque, I think, than it needs to be. But I I, I like giving this story and, and some of those details at least so that people uh, understand kind of what they're up against yeah. uh, or what they're signing up for, you know? Because I felt yeah. like I didn't know a ton of it before I got there. Um, I'm happy with where, where I'm at and, and you know, where my book is, is at. I'm, I'm happy that it's finally out in the market. Yeah. yeah. Um, But now I have to see, I, I just wait and see refresh yeah. Goodreads every day and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just so funny because like, I just, there's so many circumstances re- recently where like I, you know, I've seen somebody like, I, I'm not going to mention their name, but like I've had them on the podcast and I'll just say they have an amazing cover. Um, they have an amazing fantasy book and I don't know why there's sales. Like I, I personally like, like I'm about to pick it up really soon. It's going to be one of my first, I think it's gonna be my first book. Um, cause people always ask me to review. So I'm going to start to do reviews as well. on um, like shorter ones, um, as often as I can, but like this person's book I'm like so excited for and it's right up my alley and I'm just kind of like looking around like is everybody else paying attention you know to this great book and I read a little bit of it so far like the first 50 pages it had me right away Um, it's just a longer book so I've had to you know move it around in the TBR but like I'm like I'm so confused at why it has not just skyrocketed and you know and I talked to that author and I'm like listen I'm like maybe it's going to take your book two or your book three, but at some point, you know, like I've seen so many books in the market for years, decades. And I'm like, I feel like you're going to just skyrocket, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what everybody's problem is. I said, it could just be the time, like you're saying, right? Like there's crazy stuff that's gone on the last, you know, two years. Um, crazier than I would have thought as a history teacher, but yeah, I think yeah. It's, you can't have, you can only plan for so many variables. You know, I write down notes for my, you know, I'm going indie. So it's like book launch, you know, I've talked to a lot of people try to get, I'm trying to put together the best campaign for, for next year. And it's like, no, I just know though, no matter what I do, even with a rapid release schedule, you know, even with, I'm going to have four other books, you know, in the wings, ready to go to, you know, finish up. Um, So I have seven out there within like 13 months. Once the first one's published, I still have to be ready to know, right. That I could just crash and burn. And it's just going to be a slow burn, you know, and yep. I just don't think a lot of people prepare themselves in the right way. I'm not saying they're going to be successful, but you have to, I just feel like you have to pay your dues. Like I'm in that point in teaching now where like people trust me, you know, I am experienced. I've been doing all these other things for years and now people just leave me alone and the kids are having a great time. I'm having a great time. It saved me a while to get there, but you know, and now I'm starting, you know, I just, I'm just coming home happy. I'm able to write better, you know, and I just think it's taken me a while to get there. And I think on average, you know, you have to just give yourself that time, I guess, uh, to adjust. And, you know, it is, it is a slow simmer Uh, And I think if people are more prepared for that, whether they're indie or traditional, no matter what you, you know, prepare for, I like to do podcasts, talk to people like yourself. I will share anything for any author. Um, if anybody ever wants to come on, you want to come on anytime talk about whatever if we got to do 100 podcasts together to get people to buy more books like like I'm totally okay with that um but I just think a lot of people are thinking it's just going to be instantaneous and all you have to do is write the book and put it out there and I just want them to know it takes a lot more than that no matter which market you're in so
1: yeah I I think your slow burn comment is right on and and it could be that it's a slow burn with any given book you know um, but it could be a slow burn on your career. There are plenty of authors who have books that did well and books that didn't do so well, you know? Um, you never know which is going to hit and why and, and what's going what's to happen. So yeah, totally right with you.
0: Well, if you look at like The Alchemist, right? Um, that was, I, that's one of the best books I've ever read. And I'm not even a big fiction person. I mean, I read classics and different things just to learn and, you know, to get a good story. But that book was like life-changing for me. And um it took me years to read it. But like that book sat on the shelves for like 13 years, like 12, 13 years. And then it took Bill Clinton to read it to then all of a sudden, bam, sold like a million copies. And it's done even better now. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know people don't want to hear that. But like, you know, George R. R. Martin too, like, you know, he wasn't this huge monolith you know he had was you know really pretty successful but not really successful before game of thrones um you know jk rowling you know is another one of those who you know took a long time you know so i just think if you you know we teach kids in history all the time that you know all the people that we talk about in history every single one of them we talk about them because they came up against some sort of obstacle and they figure out a way to get around the obstacle and I think yeah. if you're going to be an, an author in this day and age. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we have that we haven't, you know, other authors in the past haven't, um, you know, I think you have a lot more weapons, particularly social media at your disposal. But um, it's like I told the kids, we were talking the other day about social media, you know, and, you know, same thing with a hand axe, you know, hand axe can be a weapon or a tool, depending on how you're using it. And we talked about social media that way, too. And I think it, um, you know, has a huge part to play in how you're using it as an author, um, again, no matter which community you're in. And I think that if you, again, the slow burn, like, if you're just doing things, I, I hear a couple people say doing things. I like to do things in, um, you know, like a measured and maneuverable fashion. Um, and that's where I'm like trying to do specific things a lot on purpose. Um, I like to be purposeful about it rather than just throw energy out there. Cause I feel like otherwise I might as well, you know, like if, if I don't get a good conversation out of a podcast with people over and over again, what's the point in doing it? You know, like I might as well spend more time writing or, you know, on social media and try to do something. But I found that this has helped me personally out a lot. And I've been able to help other people out a lot. And, you know, I've had a lot of people private message me like, hey, I really liked your interview with Scott. Um, You know, I'd love to, I checked out the rest of them. And, you know, a lot of them are writers and I love that they get to hear what you guys have to say. So I consider it successful. Um, But I think that, you know, people do have to, you know, in this day and age, I think you have to be careful with your time and you do need to find something, but I think you need to find something to do that fits you. I really enjoy talking to people like yourself. I could talk to you about writing all day or just your books or your characters. Um, so that's what I do. So I definitely think it's important to figure out what you enjoy doing to help you, um, and other people within the community.
1: Yeah, totally. And uh, I think, I think the other side of the coin too, though, is like, sometimes it can be hard to build an audience before you have accomplished something, you know, like, um, and I don't know, one of the reasons I I decided to go with traditional publishing is because I wasn't as comfortable with marketing myself, I guess Um, I I find that a little more difficult than some, I think. Um, And and so I, I wanted not just the help there and kind of, you know, the, the coattails to ride. Um, but you know, I, 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 I liked the idea, I guess, of the legitimacy, but that might come with that. But at the same time, man, like there, like we've talked about, there are so many, uh, people who. Are getting the right attention because their book is good and because they put, you know, like you're talking about, the right uh, effort in. You know, Tiago Abdallah, um, his book recently came out. He's doing a great job uh, getting it out there. Um, Ryan, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name either. Cahill Cahill, I don't really know. I thought it was
0: Cahill. Sorry, Ryan, if we messed it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I mean like Zach Argyle, and and I'm sure I'm I'm missing a ton, but there are a lot of people kind of giving a good blueprint of how to be, uh, at least in my opinion, at least as successful as a debut traditional yeah. uh, author as a, an indie. And like you mentioned, you you have a lot more freedom. Um, you can take stuff to market a lot faster that kind of thing yeah it's it's an interesting world that i don't think a lot of people dive deep enough to to care about but it's fun i this is why i like doing these kinds of uh these kinds of things podcasts or uh even just back and forth on twitter because it's fun to find people who care about the same kinds of things you know because most people don't
0: yeah 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 well i i just thought it was funny because um Oh my gosh, I just listened to a podcast. Um his name's Jeff, okay. Um, and he wrote the Arsenal series, which is a, a superhero series that just looks amazing. Um, it's like uh his main character. Um, I believe, sorry, Jeff, don't don't you know hit me for this wrong mistake, but I believe his character like got in an accent or something like that. But, anyways, so she's in a wheelchair. Well, she creates like essentially like this Iron Man type suit that lets her become the superhero Arsenal. And Jeff was on Lynn's broker's podcast like years ago. And I was listening to an older one, but he was like, yeah, my wife takes me to a party and she's in the car and treats you like a child. And it was like, okay, nobody in here wants to listen to you talk about your books anymore. <laughs> like you could talk about it like for five minutes and then you have to stop, you know, cause he was like, I just want to talk about it the whole time. So I said to my wife, we were driving back recently. And she goes, that's a guy who should have on your podcast. And I was like, what are you trying to say? Like you're trying to like, you know, like babysit me like have somebody else babysit me for an hour um but yeah she was like no like that's what you do all the time <laughs> and I was like I laughed so hard because I was like I felt bad because I could think of three parties we went to before the pandemic um holiday parties where like I was almost done with my first draft and I was so excited and I just kept talking to people about it and like nobody wanted to hear about it after that so I totally feel you <laughs> it's definitely uh it's definitely nicer when it's like education too you know when I can find somebody who's an educator, like I want to talk to them. Um, like if I can find a martial artist to talk to, I'll talk to them all day long, you know, and, and, it's the same thing with writing. I think you have to birds of a feather flock together, you know? So I think it's important to, you know, to talk to people, you know, in that community that, you know, whatever you like to do. So
1: what martial arts do you do?
0: Oh, um, well, cause of the pandemic, um, I'm just doing Washington karate right now. Um, we're doing it outside. Um, I'm hoping because of what our numbers look like here in central New York, I'm hoping against hope that this summer I could go back to jujitsu. Um, I have a thyroid condition, so it's, you know, very down there on the list for autoimmune disorders, but because of how things have been, it's like, they don't, every time I ask my doctor about taking off the mask, they're like, everybody else is fine. You should still keep yours on, even though you have the because <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. And I'm like, Okay, so my wife's like we're trying to find like a more comfortable one that I can wear while doing jujitsu again. But I would like to go back to jujitsu and judo. I was doing those for about five years, um. Oh, then wow. I had like grad school and stuff. Um, I'm yeah. a secondary black belt in taekwondo. Um, I just kind of just needed a break, so I was doing some other stuff. But yeah, I'm like uh two. I got my brown belt, so I'm like two brown belts away, um, before black belt for Washington. So I'm hoping to finish up before we have some kids, and that way I can come home after for a little bit and not have to worry so much about what's going on up there and memorizing everything but yeah
1: it's been yeah fun. that's amazing that's really cool yeah I mean I, I I don't mean to necessarily go down this rabbit hole but I'm being extra careful about um COVID as well especially with you know trying to protect my daughter as much as possible yeah, yeah. We're, we're homeschooling her for that reason and I haven't I, this was supposed to be my time when we moved out to Massachusetts in 2019 and I kind of, uh, for a, a, a really awesome job, my wife was taking and I decided to, uh, quit my corporate career for a while to work on writing. And it was supposed to be my time to get back into jujitsu and a a few other things as well. Uh, but that did not pan out because just a few months later, the pandemic hit and we decided to homeschool our daughter. So that's been, uh, my adventure for the last few years, trying to juggle, Uh, homeschooling my daughter and being, you know, the primary parent while my wife works um, and writing and whatever else. Uh, But yeah, I did. uh, It wasn't, uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd even call it. It wasn't a a formal belt giving kind of situation, but I did, um, I think three years, two and a half years, three years of jujitsu classes when I was in college. Yeah. Basically, just this guy, super cool guy. Um, but he was doing jujitsu, like, you know, in a legit gym where they give, uh, belts and everything, but then he would come and, uh, I don't remember what belt he was, whether it was like purple or Brown at that point. Um, but he would come and teach all of us beginners, everything he was learning in his gym, you know, uh, and it was super fun. So I just kept taking the the course through basically as long as I was at college, (laughs) but I freaking loved it, man. I, I love jujitsu. And I got into watching MMA and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And I I think a little bit of that, uh, comes through in my, in my books, but I'm, I'm obviously, I'm no, I'm no actual martial artist like you and, um, (laughs) man, there's another one I'm forgetting his name. I want to say it's Alex something. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, um, I don't know why I can't do last names today. Sorry. I know, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, his books are uh, com- um, Combat Codes.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah the Combat yeah. Codes. So he, he, yeah, yeah, he, he was black lives. Belt,
0: I believe I think he just got his black belt last year. Um, yeah, because, yeah, like that was really cool that I saw that. Yeah, Because
1: I didn't yeah,
0: know I, that him on Instagram. And I was like, oh, that's really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember what his level is or whatever. And I don't know what the levels mean anyway. Um, but I, I remember thinking it was super legit and yeah. he, I live in Massachusetts, so he's, I think he's pretty, pretty close here. Uh, I think he's like on the South or maybe West end of, I think so. Uh, yeah, west, yeah. Yeah. West side of, uh, Boston and I'm on up in the North side of Boston. Okay. But I say he goes um, to a
0: really good gym too, uh, over there. Um, I forget its name, but like, I looked it up one day cause I was bored and I was like, Oh, I was like, I remember my friends talking about that. I was like, that's a pretty cool spot over there. That's on one of my lists when we travel um because we were supposed to go to Boston last year then like our numbers here went up um and then because of school it was like kind of vague on what we we're allowed to do or not yeah and I was yeah. like well I want to come back with COVID because then I would have had to I think I would have had to eat like four days out of my own sick days or something because they only give you like 10 days um Rough. yeah so I was just like I don't want to do that and I had yep. some students um where like they just can't even get the flu because like they had some parents with like terminal illnesses and stuff like that. So uh, we were like, we're just not going to travel. Um, but yeah, I was supposed to go to Boston um, and actually go to his gym. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I'll see him there and just be like, hey, can you sign this book? Because <laughs> I got book one, like all ready to go. But yeah, it's hard though, right? Because it's like, I talked to my wife about it and because she's like, well, you want to go back? And I was like, it's just so hard because it's like, you just, I, I don't know. I it just, and it's hard for me too, to go back during school because I always get a black eye. <laughs> it just always makes me look like you know like oh mr Kubal's so violent <laughs> it's like yeah. oh, it's just like i'm always rolling with somebody and it's either it doesn't matter if it's a white belt to brown belt like somebody always gets me i was actually just talking about that at karate today because the instructor showed something and then kind of got my eye a bit and I was, I was teasing her i was like yeah my wife sent me to karate because she thought it was safe <laughs> uh That's funny. yeah, yeah. jiu is awesome though I, I mean i really I really love doing judo and jujitsu at the same time. Um, my friends are always asking me, like, why don't you write about it? And I'm like, well, the problem is then I get too technical, and I feel like nobody really wants to read it. So I am actually really interested to read Alex's book, um, you know, to see how he dealt with the martial arts in particular. Because I would like to do a monk thing at some point, you know, I think that would be really cool. Um, you know, try and put that knowledge to use. I mean, I definitely do it for like, um, you know, like archery. I'm big in archery. Um, um, obviously like, I got to teach history. I, I'm really big into military history. So I use a lot of that. Um, but like sword and shield, like I was learning for a little bit um, in college with somebody on um, the katana, you know, different stuff like that. Like I do a lot of weapons training and put it into the books, but martial arts, I feel like sometimes is a little harder because like I said, you can't say, oh, I point the, you know, the hand here and did this and it's like, I, I applaud people that are really good at it. I mean, um, R.A. Salvatore is one of those where I'll read any of his fight scenes any day of the week. And I feel like most of the books, um, you know, just have amazing ones, but I'm not that good at it yet. So maybe one day, but yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I didn't A know big. that. So that, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. When I come your way, right. we'll have to try and meet up and uh, we'll go outside and do it or something. That'd be awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't mention it that much cause it's very amateur, you know, and college was got a 10, 12, 13 years ago now. So I haven't done it for a long time. You know, I got caught up in, in working a lot in my corporate career and then had a kid and, uh, you know, my wife and I played soccer together. That was kind of our thing for a long time. So that yeah. ate up most of my time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've been meaning to get back into it, but yeah, I like, uh, I, I like you're talking about there. There are certain people that are way more qualified to get into actual martial arts. I've, I haven't even tried to do, you know, sh- sword training, sword and shield, other than just uh, making sure I understand the basics. But I'm a really big fan of how people like um, and whether it's accurate or not. Uh, I'm a big fan of how Bernard Cornwell handles oh, yeah. his, uh, you know, sword and shield type battles. Um, and I, I tried to take a lot from not just him, but uh, people in that, uh, same vein of focusing a lot on what's going on individually, but also trying to keep a a good view of what's happening tactically and and with different groups. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a huge expert with archery or anything either other than I just have hunted. a a decent amount in the last 10 years i i I like to hunt and went from rifle to archery which is a a big shift Oh yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. and not not necessarily super applicable to you know battle scenes but uh at least the basic mechanics of how things work and how bad it hurts if you slap the inside of your wrist with a a longbow
0: grab an arrow break on your yeah i had that happen like i had a nice gash and i was like oh my dad's like oh you're gonna need stitches i'm like no i'm just gonna and i actually don't even have a scar anymore but yeah i was definitely for sure i had had a friend who had a bowstring snap on him so bad that um he did have to have stitches actually like it was pretty crazy and um i had a friend had that happen um at one of the reenactments um i can't remember what they were doing like how they did it but they was it was like safe for them he goes, yeah. He goes, everybody. I shot the the dull arrows, or however they blunted them. He goes, they were safer than me shooting them. <laughs> and like he like yeah. sent me the pictures. I was like, oh, that looks ghastly, and I had Ooh. never heard of it before. So I was teasing my buddy because there was one video game we were playing at the time where I think it was like Boulder's Gate or Icewind Dale, where it was like you know you use the regular items too much and they broke on you in the middle of combat. So I was teasing him. I was like, yeah, you just. It's like you have to update to the newest boulders gate version you can't use the original one (laughs) it was
1: like shut up yeah that's
0: really funny but yeah it's cool because i talked to a lot of those um the sca guys and gals about you know different stuff i was supposed to go join one of those groups and then the pandemic happened Uh, i was supposed to go do um uh fencing actually um with the traditional um french rapier and they yeah they closed down and now they're still only doing stuff online so i'm hoping that now that like our area has calmed down quite a bit um here in central new york i'm hoping that they bring that back because to me that would be really cool i have this one changeling that i would love to do in like a french renaissance type of fantasy setting um and he he i feel like he'd be really good at like the you know like the fencing and stuff so it'd be cool to get that kind of thing i feel like um yeah. like you know like miles cameron's one of those people who does such a good job with it and it's always exciting and i I, the writing fighting if you guys haven't seen writing fighting yet make sure you check it out um miles has this great youtube channel on it for people that write fighting scenes yeah i got really into it (laughs) i was like yeah all these things yeah it's cool when you can take those kinds of things and apply it really well in your writing i don't think i'm there yet but i hope to be where one day but
1: yeah writing fighting is actually a really good example of resources I use, you know, stuff like that, because even if it's just understanding the basics of, of movement or, uh, what certain weapons sound like when they hit things or what an arrow flying through the ear, through the air near you sounds like, um, you know, that kind of stuff I think can make a a pretty big difference in immersing a, a reader in your world
0: yeah 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 well like uh peter mclean like priest of bones author like he was just on the wizard words and words podcast and he was saying how you you never say shoot a bow it's release an arrow and i'm like oh man i was like i don't think i've done that yet but i'm about to like have archery in my books and i was like oh that's a good point because he's like nobody said that historically until firearms were created um and I was like, Oh, that's actually a good point. So I've like been meaning to when I go through the next couple of chapters, like I have one, I'm starting to finish tonight where I do have somebody who's releasing arrows. Um, so I have to be really careful about saying shooting. Um, but I do know people that that drives them nuts. <laughs> like, you know, like me in particular, when I'm trying to do this historical fantasy, I feel like I, it's like what you said earlier, like, you know, we were talking, you really got to be careful of what you're, doing with certain audiences because they expect certain things so i was like well i I was like if i'm gonna go historical fantasy i'm actually gonna have like um you know like somebody edit it who's done roman history and stuff from that time period um just to read through and i don't even mind paying them because i just feel like you know my friend does that for science fiction he's not very sciencey um but he likes the you know he loves science fiction so he does more of like a star wars science fiction like fantasy sci-fi kind of thing um or fantasy with sci-fi elements uh but yeah he just pays um somebody like a college professor that he knows um and forget I think it's he's mechanical engineering and something else like like physics or something like that or quantum physics and he just pays them and then they just go through they read the book he gives them a free copy once it's done later and he pays them and like 250 bucks and you know he gets the perspective from somebody like that because it's hard sci-fi and you know obviously you have to do hard sci-fi for the hard sci-fi crowd but
1: yeah. I, I do think that's a good idea. However, I, I have seen quite a few very successful uh, books that obviously haven't done that. You know, Oh, for they sure. Use, oh, for they sure. Use inertial dampeners instead of damper.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That,
1: that kind of thing. It, and you, you mentioned arrows. I, I'm actually trying to think back. I know that I had, uh, you know, I had to uh, fight to, to edit out all mention of firing a uh, 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 a crossbow i have a lot of crossbows well, fantasy more than <laughs> yeah more than more than <laughs> yeah. more than longbows it's crossbows yeah. in my book um but i had to like you mentioned change to release and i i'm actually not a uh super opposed to the word shoot or shot with respect yeah, yeah, to yeah. a crossbow or even a, a longbow um so aiming, and i'm
0: still shooting it like <laughs> it's still a trigger you know like
1: yeah, in, in, in my opinion, it's a, yeah. it's a good descriptor of what the projectile is doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least in in current language, I'll have to go back. I'll have to read my own book to remember <laughs> what, to remember whether I said shoot. I or don't shot. think I've I don't think I've
0: ever I've never heard of that before. I just was like thinking about it, so I was like, oh, like not even not for like a fantasy setting, but like for historical fantasy, because I have a couple of them. I was like, oh, maybe I should think about it there because I do have crossbows too. So I'm like, well. I'm like or am I okay because it, I still think like if you had crossbows I personally feel like it'd still be the same vernacular you know because you're
1: yeah shooting fire you're fire's fighting. the one yeah. is the one that I was like that cannot ever be in my books because I see fair. that you know in movies or in anything where they're they've got bows they obviously haven't invented uh, any black powder uh, yeah, weapons yeah. yet. And they're they're saying fire, and it's like no, <laughs> not fire. <laughs>
0: it's so funny when you say that because I guess like when I watch like Dragonheart, I think is you know what Dennis said. I think they say it there, but like they use fire arrows. So uh, I, I I guess I always assume, I always assume that you know. But I remember I did read one person's where you know they ex- basically explained it to you know the reader as like you know this culture uses like they usually fire arrows that are on fire. Um. So they say, fire.
1: um See, There's always a caveat. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just do think it's funny though that you have to be careful of, you know, which subgenre you're. And I'm like, I would never. I'm like, I don't care. <clears throat> Particularly in sci-fi, I'm like, I'm like, I just don't care. I'm like, give me good characters. Give me some cool tech. Maybe throw an ancient civilization in there every once in a while. <laughs> and I'm like, let's call it a day. You know, I'm like, yeah. One of my friends was complaining about something like that, and it wasn't Star Wars. Let's just say it was. And I was like, dude, I was like, there's like furry Bigfoot creatures firing crossbows. Sorry, shooting. <laughs> you know, and I guess there will be firing, right? Um, Yeah. And I was like, these people control the force. Like, you know, they have light swords. <laughs> and I was just like trying to fumble it just to make it funny. But yeah, I was like trying to explain to them. I was like, what's the difference of this tiny little thing you're saying? Versus, I was like, you can't you, you know, your, your suspension of belief belief is so great that you have Bigfoot shooting a crossbow, but you can't believe this little science thing is different in this galaxy, or that they yeah. say it differently. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I got way too much going on in my life to, you know, talk about <laughs> those little things, I guess. But it is kind of funny how I, I've heard that from a few people from different subgenres. They're like, yeah, be careful about X, Y, and Z, so...
1: Yeah, it is a conundrum because I, I am a firm believer in like it's a it's a secondary world, uh, uh, so th- things are going to be different. Right. But at the same time, I pay very close attention to all of those kinds of details and they bug me a lot, uh, it's, I'd say, in my own work more than other people's work. Um, but yeah, whether the conclusion I arrive at is the same that each reader is going to arrive at is is another question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the book I just did, it, like for instance, the book my friend was complaining about had like I went, I just was like, oh, I'm just gonna mess with them and see how many like reviews it had. <laughs> and, like, yeah, Goodreads alone was like fifteen thousand.
1: And so Jeez. I just
0: sent the, just the reviews back to him, And I was like, yeah, I said, I think you're part of the, you know, the minority here, but, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was
0: like, there's so many people, right. That read the book and never review it, which everybody in the audience, make sure you're not one of those people. <laughs> like, please review books
1: because authors appreciate here, it. Yeah,
0: Everybody here like lives off of them. So <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep.
0: That's how I find a lot of books that I want to read and stuff. It's just, you know, that kind of thing. It's, you know, like somebody review, but yeah. I'm yep. like I, it takes 5 seconds on Goodreads especially you know and it's like yeah. even if you just said a couple of words like oh I really enjoyed it and just like tell why. I do that a lot on Audible too because for a while I wasn't reviewing Audible books and then um I was talking to um I'm actually having Christopher G Brenning on um mm-hmm. tomorrow again for the second time because he's going to um showcase some art um for book 2 which we're both really excited about. Um Book One was amazing. Was the Hubborn King um so but we were just talking about that and it was just like one of those things where yeah it was just it was kind of funny that you know some people don't seem to understand like those kind of concepts uh with reviewing books but yeah, yeah. i definitely think it's really important personally. But. amen all Right. well i know we didn't get to a lot of the questions but i just figured we could save That's them right. for, for next time that we talk but i felt like we had you like brought up a lot of really good stuff that i just personally want to talk about and It's always funny when somebody like yourself mentions it the exact week that, you know, I find out the same thing or listen to a podcast or something, or somebody mentions it on Twitter. It's really funny how that works out. It's almost like it's faded or something like that. But um, (laughs) you want to just as like a closing, do you want to just, I know you talked a little bit about your book. Do you want to give us just like a little snippet, um, like a little advertisement, um, if you will, if you like had to sell your book in one sentence or two sentences, what would you say? Whatever. Um, But what is your book Rise of the Mages about just for our audience?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, And and I did describe a little bit of of what the story is about two brothers um, at an academy called the Citadel. Uh, The Citadel is attacked by a a political leader from a a neighboring province. And one brother has to rescue the other. Um, I, I very purposefully made it a fantasy thriller in terms of how it reads and, and the pacing. Um, but I also worked in as much of my interests in, uh, you know, engineering and technology, as well as how a magic might work if it were somewhat plausible, you know, uh, given some liberties with electromagnetism, how would magic work and how would it intertwine with technology if that were the case. Uh, and so, yeah, that's it. I, I think um, people who appreciate a, a fast paced uh, fantasy novel, um, like a, you know, a, a Red Rising, although that's a sci fi, um, or even Bernard Cornwell, like we talked about, um, those are some of the, the faster, uh, more military type books that I tried to marry to a traditional fantasy uh setting or feel like a you know a Robert Jordan or a David Eddings that I grew up reading. Uh, Oh I love David (laughs)
0: Eddings. Yeah. Great right there. Yeah. Well that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah David's one of my like favorites. Like I mean I think now you can be like oh like these things should have been changed. But in terms of like like the core group of characters is I just like Palegra was like I still think is one of the coolest. Um, I think her and Moraine are on the same level personally um yeah yeah. yeah yeah silk's one of my favorite characters of all time so
1: yeah the I, I think I have since learned that uh you know Eddings is a little bit of a problematic person in his personal life but the pawn of prophecy was the first fantasy book I ever read and, and the book that really oh, got wow. me into reading so wow uh, you know, I, I have a I have a pretty soft spot in my heart for that series yeah and, the Wheel of Time is the series that I read over and over and over growing up because every time a book came out, I would just reread the series. Uh, so that was a, a, a big deal to me growing up. So yeah, I, I would agree with you. Paul Guerra and Moiraine were some pretty fantastic uh, uh, idols, I guess, or <laughs> uh, to, to grow up reading about. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, like Bulgarian too, like I, you know, like, I just think that I was talking to my buddy about this. I said, you know, like everybody always loves the anti-hero now. I said, I still love your Chuck Norris's, your Walker, Texas Rangers, your Bulgarians. I said, especially in our world today, I feel like that, you know, like, yeah, they might be, I think it's still important to show that they're fallible. Um, and I feel like Bulgarians one of those characters that was, you know, like sometimes he gets angry sometimes like, you know, he messes up that one time where he creates these storms that ruin all this whole area, you know, and then Polgara and, um, you know, um, probably blanking on his grandpa's name um um, yeah thank you Belgarath have to fix it but I but I do like his intentions were pure and I do personally still really enjoy those paladin like type characters um whether or not they have flaws or not but sometimes I just get so over the anti-hero now I'm like let's get a real hero back you know like give me a Bulgarian you know somebody trying to do the right thing and effing up along the way but still trying to do the right thing yeah Um, yeah Yeah. totally.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's absolutely what I tried to do. And I I think it can be more than just a trope, right? I I think that is, that hits people for a reason. People want to uh, have reason to believe that they're capable of of special things, you know, and I think people are, and and I think people vastly underestimate themselves. So I think, I think there's a lot of value to that kind of a story. Um, But yeah, just so people don't get the wrong idea uh My my story is that for sure a a, a hero story. However, uh, there is probably a little more um, messing up along the way than a, a you know those old school traditional fantasies. Well, it's
0: a book one, you know. Like you gotta mess up, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. there'd be no other books after.
1: <laughs> Amen. Yep.
0: My friend the other day, she goes, "I think I'd have like sixteen books right now." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a really good point yeah because
0: I'm more of a she goes I'm more of a Harry Dresden by far and I was like there you go way to put it. <laughs> like, trying to do the or uh she's like or uh or um or an Atticus from like Kevin Hearn's world I was just like I laughed so hard because I like I knew exactly what she was talking about and I was like yep I said I'd probably be in the 20s or 30s by now you know <laughs> I don't know who that would be author wise or character wise but you know definitely
1: I like that way of thinking about it that's funny
0: like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All right, Scott. Well, thank you so much. Um, do you have any other news or updates or anything like that that you'd like to share? Obviously book one rise of the mages is currently out and people should go and buy it as soon as they get done. Maybe right now, actually, even before we're done with the podcast. Um, but anything else you want to share with us right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's mostly it, man. The rise of the mages just came out less than a month ago. So that's, that's what's big on my mind. And I've got book two and revisions, uh, hopefully ready to go uh, sometime next year. So yeah, shouldn't have to wait too long for the continuation.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, you know, good luck with book one. If there's anything else, you know, that I can do, or, you know, um, that we can do as a podcast, um, you know, to help you out tag me in anything you want and I'll share it. Um, sometimes I miss things because of my current schedule, especially, like I said, coaching starting. So tag me if you want, you know, something to be shared and I'll plaster it all over the internet as much as I can. Um uh, my two Twitter accounts and everything else. Um yeah, but you know, again, good luck. I uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Uh, it's great talking with you. Um, like I said, hopefully we can get you on, you know, again real soon, if you know, not by yourself with a panel or something like that, and you know, yeah. discuss some more things. Maybe I, I was thinking about doing a wheel of time uh panel. So if you're down for that. <laughs> love awesome. I love
1: the wheel of time. Yep.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll put you down for that and I will uh, be sending out emails um uh, within the next month or so for those panels. So I look forward to getting you on again
1: really soon then. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, man. This was a really good time.
0: Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. All right, my friend. Well, Scott, you have a great rest of the day and we will talk to you later. Okay.
1: Okay. See you brother.
0: Have a good one.